Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. James Cleveland, paranormal Pinkerton detective, was a Jersey City, New Jersey native, and so that's where I had him buried. I found Cleveland's body while investigating my last case. See the file titled Date Night for details, and so I took responsibility for his burial. Like most paranormal Pinkertons, Cleveland had no family, so the only people at the funeral were Old Tom and me. Old Tom was there for a couple of reasons. First, and most importantly, I knew he would want to go. Tom had drilled it into my head that Pinkertons take care of their own, and James Cleveland had died in the line of duty murdered by one of the forces of the Terre. He deserved respect, and with no families, it was up to the other Pinkertons to give it to him. Second, I wanted to talk to him. I had something real important to tell him. Cleveland apparently was a Methodist, the most boring of the denominations. His pastor droned on and on in a eulogy I could barely bring myself to pay attention to. Don't misunderstand me, I tried. He just had the sort of voice that made you, uh, want to start making Z's, you know? When it was over and Cleveland had been buried, I said a quick prayer while standing over his grave. As the rain started to fall around me, I almost welcomed it. That fit the mood. I didn't know Cleveland very well, but when I was learning the ropes from old Tom, we would overlap on cases occasionally and end up collaborating. He was a very serious very grim sort of guy, but he was a consummate professional, and never had any issue sharing information with us or helping out on a case. He understood that Pinkertons were in it together against a dangerous and hostile world of enemies. I was sad to see him go. If that magician bounty hunter had managed to kill him, he wasn't just talk. Old Tom and I stood at his gravestone, just staring for what seemed like ages as the rain started falling on us, harder and harder. Finally, without looking at me, Tom spoke. It's Morgana, isn't it? You're going after the witch. I didn't respond. I just kept staring at the gravestone. After a few moments, Tom continued. You're making a mistake. You aren't ready. You said that if it was you, you'd confront her. You aren't me! Tom's voice had risen in anger. He glared at me as he spoke. But I didn't back down this time. I'm a paranormal Pinkerton detective, just like you, Tom. I can't back off of a case that other Pinkertons would tackle. Maybe you haven't noticed, but there isn't anybody else ready who can cover the slack anymore. Don't you understand? If you fight the witch, you'll die. I'm not going to fight her. Not if I don't have to. Just confront her. All I want her to do is remove this curse from me. That curse is the only reason you're alive right now. 
That curse nearly got an innocent person killed. My voice rose at that last part as I stared Tom down. We didn't move as the rain slammed into the ground like bullets, soaking us both to the bone. You're going after her no matter what I say. No matter what you say. I can't change your mind. It's made up. Then come with me. You're a fool for doing this, but if you want to have any chance at all, you'll do exactly what I tell you. It's been two weeks since that cold February day. I had been hunting for Morgana throughout the New Jersey Pine Barrens when it came to my attention that I was being followed. I couldn't see the car. It was too far back and doing a good job of staying just out of sight. And unfortunately, due to the ring of disavow that I wore that naturally broke enchantments, there was no real way for me to set up wards throughout the forest I could use to alert me. But those weren't my only tricks. Sometimes it pays to make friends with the fairies. Old Tom had contacts, and if you talk to them carefully, very, very carefully, you can get useful information out of fairy folk. For a price. In this case, a fairy, more specifically a pixie, flitted alongside my car. I rolled down the window and he flew in. What's the story, Gentian? Pay first, detective. You know the rules. And you know I never pay until you ask. Still, I opened up my glove compartment and took out a small peppermint, one of dozens I had stashed. I cracked it in half on the steering wheel and flicked it over to Gentian. The tiny blue pixie gobbled it up greedily. So what do you have for me? You're being followed. Looks like a black Honda. Something small. How many? Are they supernatural? But Gentian clammed up. I rolled my eyes. You'll answer me for the second half of that mint? I promise. Here you go. I flipped the second half of the mint to Gentian, who gave a comically overwrought paroxysm of joy. Fairy dust sprinkles and everything. Well, it's not easy to tell. They have blacked out windows, but it seems like vampires to me. What makes you say that? Well, it's nothing you'd be able to tell yourself, but for creatures like me, you can just tell. We pixies have a sense for this sort of thing. Hmm. And they're definitely following me. Oh, yes. There is no question of that. And the driver is good, too. He doesn't want to be spotted. Still, I'd be surprised if they weren't trying to kill you, detective. They may just want to see where you're going first. Be on your guard. I nodded. That was very helpful, Gentian. Thanks. The fairy flitted around my head as I tried to focus on the road and resisted the urge to bat at him. You know, detective, it's a shame you won't promise us anything but peppermints. We can get real work done, you and I. Sorry, but I think my future firstborn may appreciate my reticence. Well, exactly my point. Promise me you're firstborn, and believe me, you'll never have issues with mere vampires again. But I was already done with the conversation and rolled down the window again. Gentian got the hint and was outside, following alongside the car. I flipped him one last mint. Uh, one more for the road. If you see anybody else coming, let me know. Gentian gave a grin, a cheerful salute, then flitted off into the trees of the Pine Barrens. I kept driving. No speeding up, no slowing down. The old Sean's mind would be racing right now, thinking through my possibilities and options. But now, now I was prepared. I drove into Harrisville, the town I had encountered Morgana in during our last meeting. See the case file labeled The Ghost Store for full details. 
Harrisville was my temporary center of operations while I searched for signs of Morgana. Unfortunately, she had cleared out by the time I made it back there, but I was still convinced the Pine Barrens were going to be my best bet for finding her. So I set up a makeshift base camp at the abandoned metalworking factory in the middle of town I had once seen being worked by ghosts. I stopped my car in front of the building, then got to work setting up. I figured I had maybe two minutes until the vampires arrived. Without leaving the car, I managed to squirm my way into the back seat. Due to some custom modifications I had made, I could get into the trunk without leaving the car. Carefully, I popped the trunk door open slightly, then assembled my gun. A makeshift sniper rifle with a scope I'd added myself. This, of course, was one of old Tom's tricks. From here was a waiting game. I laid down, staring out the cracked open trunk, rifle pointed carefully towards the dirt road that led towards my car. This time I was patient. Weeks of practice were going to pay off now. It took two minutes, but sure enough, the black Honda described by Gentian slowly drove into view. I waited patiently, 500 yards away, 400, 300. This was a tricky part of the operation. Vampires had heightened reflexes and could move much faster than a regular human. If I waited too long and the car got too close, I would lose any advantage gained by the distance. But if I shot when the car was far away, it would be harder to execute phase two of the plan. 250. That was the magic number. I took careful aim and fired. The sound of the bullet hitting the front tire on the Honda was much louder than I thought it would be, but my shot was perfect. With the front left tire now totally shredded, the car swerved out of control. It crashed into a tree with a sickening crunch, metal and broken glass flying into the air as black smoke rose into the forest sky. Smell of oil had coated the air, which was an excellent stroke of luck. Anything to dull the vampire's sharp senses. I was out of my car in a flash, swiping the bullets from the rifles as I ran. This time I went off into the trees grabbing another weapon unprepared for the eventuality of facing vampires. Yes, of course I had prepared specifically for vampires. It's not a creature I'd be likely to forget after my time in Shipton. Besides, paranormal Pinkerton's got to be ready for anything. I kept an eye on that black Honda as I disappeared into the trees. Considering the rapid healing abilities and increased physical stamina of vampires, no doubt they would be fine. And sure enough, four days, vampires managed to stumble their way out of the vehicle, cursing loudly to themselves. They were dressed like gangbangers. Wait, gangbangers? Were they from Shipton? I shook my head, clearing the distraction. No time for that now, Russo. Head in the game. This is your chance. I hid myself in the trees about a hundred yards away from the monsters. I had to act fast. This was a kill mission. No question about it. I was absolutely convinced these vampires were planning on killing me the second they got the chance to. I could not give them that chance. This wasn't like Shipton. Then I'd stumbled into something, and this time they were out for me. There was no giving a vampire a second chance or an opportunity to back down. It was kill or be killed. I probably only got a few seconds before their heightened senses kicked out where I was. Time to act. I drew my crossbow. I was dressed in camouflage, of course. Nothing too fancy, but something similar enough to the look of the trees in the Pine Barrens I'd be hard to spot via peripheral vision. Why a crossbow? Well, it's simple. As everyone knows, there is only one way to kill a vampire, impalement with a wooden stake. It disrupts the regeneration, at the least. 
cutting heads off works too, but the classic is a classic for a reason. Tom almost treated this crossbow tenderly when he gave it to me. And it just so happened my custom-made crossbow bolts were made out of wood. I crouched, took careful aim, and fired at the vampire of the four standing closest to me. Bullseye! The bolt nailed him squarely in the chest. I never got the draw weight for my crossbow. Tom had said it was... enough. I'd see later that the stake impacted his ribs so hard that they sprung from his chest like high-tension wire. The stake pinned him to the car and knocked over his buddy. The three other vampires screamed. I didn't blame them. One of them started sprinting down the road, away from me. Smart monster. I'll let him spread the word. I'm a... different man now. Another wasn't so smart. He yelled out another curse and ran towards where I had fired the bolt from, but of course I wasn't there anymore. I had moved the instant the bolt was fired. Didn't even watch the result. He got halfway over to the spot I'd just been standing when he fell with almost comical swiftness into the pit trap I had prepared. Spikes on the bottom and everything. Didn't even scream. Two down, one screaming his way out of town, one left. The last vampire hasn't moved far from the car and looked scared out of his mind. I realized why when I saw his foot, which was twisted at an unnatural angle. Apparently he'd gotten hurt in the crash and it hadn't healed yet. When his friend, I guess, died, he threw himself behind his car and stared at the grove of trees like they were going to grow legs and siege Isengard. He didn't so much as blink for five minutes. Perfect. I leapt down from my position in the tree above him, because of course that was where I had been maneuvering to, landing on his back. He fell to the ground with a thump. I pressed the loaded crossbow bolt to the vampire's head. This one was crying blood. It was a sight to behold. Don't kill me! Don't kill me! I'll go! I swear! You'll never see me again! I rolled my eyes. Listen up, bloodsucker. I know how you vampires work. If I see you make any sort of swift move, I fire. You're alive because I want information, but I want to stay alive more. And I will not hesitate to unload this through your skull. Got it? Don't move your head. Just say, got it. I got it! I got it! Who sent you? I can't tell you, man. I can't tell you. I pressed the bolt into the vampire's head, drawing blood. And why not? I just can't, man. I... I... He told me not to tell anyone. Please, I swear. I'd tell you if I could. Told me not to tell anyone? What? I put the pieces together in my head. So someone, or something, had given this vampire an order. He was scared out of his mind, but he still wasn't telling me the order. Why? Mind control. Blood money. Monster, what's your name? Julius. I'm Julius, man. Is the man who ordered you to kill me named Blood Money? I've pushed the crossbow in a little more. The vampire didn't respond. The way he reacted, I think that he couldn't. That told me enough. I tried to be logical about this. Old Tom had said he was completely sure Blood Money was dead, but he also said that if he was given new information, he'd reevaluate. This had to amount to new information, but why was Blood Money after me? I was still waiting on updates from my shipping contacts. There had been no progress of any of my cases in that area for months, and I didn't want to charge into that place again blind. 
does he hold a grudge against me because of my last case in Shipton? Because I was old Tom's protege and he hated old Tom? Then something else occurred to me. Was Blood Money the one who had ordered the magician to try and kill me on the boardwalk? Had he been trying to assassinate me all along? There wasn't enough information to be sure, but... This was so alarming, I relaxed my hold on the crossbow very slightly as I processed the potential of this development. An idiotic mistake. With a sudden inhuman burst of strength, the vampire threw me off him into the air. I fired my crossbow, but too late. The shot missed him by centimeters. Worse, he was on his feet, the injured foot now nearly healed. And I was on my back, wind knocked out of me, and my crossbow decidedly unloaded. I scrambled backwards, cursing my carelessness. If somehow this vampire didn't kill me, old Tom would when he learned about what had happened. The vampire was on me in seconds. He picked me up by the neck, choking me, hatred in his eyes. I struggled vainly. He gave a deranged grin, fangs glistening. Not so tough now, are you, you little piece of... Oh, I never did get to hear what I was a piece of. The vampire was thrown to the ground. I fell into the dirt to the side of him, hacking and wheezing as I regained my breath. I turned to look at the vampire. He had been impaled through the chest with a massive spear. I turned to look at the thrower as I scrambled to my feet. A man walked slowly towards me. He had black hair that went down to his shoulders and armor made of dark steel and onyx gemstones. He carried no shield, but held a sword at his side, a sword I recognized. Clarence. He was at least a foot taller than me and armor-clad, but I looked him in the eye and spoke on my feet. My voice was hoarse from Julius's fingers around my throat. <coughs> I know who you are. Jack. Detective Morrow mentioned you in one of his case files. You're Mordred. The traitor knight. He gave a smile. His voice did not sound like you'd expect coming from his body. It was soft, almost delicate, but there was steel in it. I suppose that is my reputation nowadays. Though really, that is a rather ungrateful description. I did, after all, just save your life, Detective Russo. Thanks. <coughs> now, what do you want? Mordred was incredibly dangerous and not to be trusted. Not only that, he was allied with Morgana. I didn't know why or even how he was here, but I did know that everything he did had an ulterior motive. Straight to the point, I see. Well, I suppose you don't have any breath to spare, do you? I have been keeping an eye on you lately, Detective. <laughs> and why is that? Do you need to ask? Because you are looking for Morgana. And aren't you two on the same side? Well, I suppose from your perspective, it would appear that way. But my perspective is, uh, shall we say, rather different? He paused and looked at me thoughtfully. I resisted the urge to cringe. It was like getting analyzed by a snake. You are a most interesting man, Detective Russo. I can see why Morgana fancies you. Don't make me blush. Such cheek. And here I am paying you compliments. Well, that is somewhat admirable in its own way as well. You have, uh, 
what is the word? Guts, detective. I will certainly give you that. I refuse to let the night dominate the interaction. So why did you save me? And what do you want from me? Uh, very well. I saved you because you are interfering with Morgana's plans. And what I want from you... Here Mordred hesitated. It was theatrical. A question for you, detective. If I offered you a deal, right now, would you take it? I decide to answer honestly. No. Not to be any ruder than I already have been, but I don't trust you. Mordred nodded. He seemed satisfied with the answer. Quite so. Very well, then. I offer you no deal. All I want from you is to continue doing what you're doing however you see fit. That's it? That's it. You see, Detective Russo, Morgana and I don't always see eye to eye on everything, you know. I do like the idea of a Pinkerton detective keeping her... Honest? I don't know what your plans are, but you have plans. That is enough for now. In fact, I'll give you a hint. A hint? A hint about what? You want to figure out where Morgana is, yes? Well, this is your chance. Look up a young lady named Celia Merrick. She lives in the city of Shipton, New Jersey. The name meant nothing to me. What? Why Celia? Morgana has certain... relatives who are rather important to her. Celia is one of them, and important to others, too. Morgana is the not the only person who has Miss Merrick in her sights. Oh, no. Not at all. Vampires, too. You might say she's the key to all of this. And with that, Mordred gave me a nightly bow. I didn't respond. That's all I'll tell you, Detective, though I think that should be quite enough for you to go on. And with that, I'll be going. That's it? You're not going to ask me for anything. Not going to threaten me. Make me an offer. We both know you would turn it down, Detective Russo. All I want is to see what you'll do next. I trust it will be very entertaining. Well, for me. And with that, Mordred vanished. I have no idea how he did it. I was wearing the Ring of Dispel, after all. But I noticed that Morgana could work around it somewhat, too. Sometimes, if someone knew how the ring worked, like, say, someone from Arthurian legend, still around in the modern world, they could bamboozle it. Or maybe it wasn't magic at all, but elaborate stagecraft, like what we call magicians in the normal world. Who knows? All I could tell you is he was there, and then he was gone. I'm making this recording from a cheap motel room in Shipton, New Jersey. I think it's about time Morgana and I finally meet again. Enough with this cat-and-mouse nonsense. I have a feeling a lot of things are all about to converge at once. But no time like the present, right? Sean Russo, signing off. For now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio. Licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, international license. This episode was written and performed 
by Anthony Marquetta. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Ken Dickinson is our sound editor, audio editor. Visit us on Facebook. Read articles on superversivesf.com. And wherever podcasts are distributed, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts. Or email us at pinkertonsghosts at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.